we were speaking about the greatest stages of the path, and we saw that there's a Dharma light version and a real thin Dharma version, and we uh, spoke a little bit about the difference between the two. So let's begin a brief presentation of real thing. We have three levels of motivation. The first level, the initial level, is to think in terms of ensuring that we have one of the better types of rebirths, not just our next lifetime, but in all future lifetimes. And then the intermediate level is to gain liberation from uncontrollably recurring rebirth completely. In other words, to become liberated, gain liberation. And the advanced level is to reach the state of a Buddha in order to be able to help everybody else get free of uncontrollably recurring rebirth. So it's quite obvious from that that each of these levels is based on the assumption of rebirth. Nevertheless, as we discussed earlier, each of the methods that's presented in the body of material for each of these three levels could be applied on a Dharma-like level. And I think it's quite important not to minimize and trivialize these levels of motivation. They're really quite remarkable if we can develop them in a sincere way. On my website, in a section called Fundamentals of Tibetan Buddhism, I have the recording of a long weekend presentation of the real thing Dharma in terms of what it really means to develop these motivations sincerely. And so you're welcome to listen to that. Actually, there's a lot of material on that website, about 700 written articles and about 400 hours of audio material in English. And various parts of it are available in translation on the website. We have a German section, a Russian section, and also Spanish and Portuguese and Polish. And we're preparing many other languages as well, French, Chinese, etc. So perhaps you might find some of the material useful in yeah. various sections. So, anyway, no need to repeat what uh, I have there. But let me present an overview instead. Now, this initial level, first thing that we need to understand and realize is to appreciate what's called the precious human life that we have. Even on a Dharma light level, this is very helpful for overcoming the feeling of poor me and the depression that comes from that. We uh, think of all the more terrible situations that we could be in and try to appreciate how wonderful it is that we're not in those situations. We can think in general terms. It's not necessary to go through the list that we find in the standard presentation, but how fortunate that we are not living in a war zone, that we are not living in the midst of a terrible famine, we're starving to death, we can't feed our children, that we're not living under a severe dictatorship, a restrictive society. Those of you who are older, obviously, can relate to that more easily. Um, how fortunate that we're not severely handicapped, either mentally or physically, or emotionally. And obviously, from the Buddhist point of view, how fortunate we are that we are not 
a cockroach and anybody who sees us just wants to step on us. So there are many extensions of this type of thinking, but actually if we look at ourselves objectively, we really are very fortunate that we have these freedoms. And not only do we have the uh, freedom from these things, or liberty, we need to understand that we could lose that freedom at any time. For instance, getting Alzheimer's disease. Now there's a terrible economic crisis and things could get even worse than they are. So actually the word that is used here to describe these states are a respite, that means a brief break from having worse situations. Be lost at any time. Then also we think in terms of the various factors that enrich our life. For instance, most of us, we're healthy. I mean, obviously, many of us might be uh, sick, but able to function. There are teachings available. Buddha taught them, and they have been passed down, available. There are teachers, there are books. It's starting to be translated into your own language. There are people who support and make facilities like this possible. And so we have many, many opportunities that are available to us. So, in this situation, we need to learn to recognize it, the freedoms and enrichments that we have, and not just recognize it and acknowledge it, but really very deeply appreciate how fortunate we are. So, that's where we start. Then, the next point is that this is not going to last forever. Um, not just maybe situations could change during our lifetime, but the fact is that we're all going to die. So we have a great deal of meditation about death. Many people in many societies try to ignore death. It's sort of a taboo topic to uh, talk about or think about. And we don't really accept the reality that at some point we're going to die. And so are all our loved ones and everybody that we know. So this is reality. Um, there are many reasons to uh, support the fact that we are going to die. Everybody who's ever lived has died. So why am I any special, any different from that? The reason for dying is being born. Ultimately, that is the reason. If we're born, follows. We're going to die because this body is very weak and it falls apart as it gets older and it's not strong, it can get injured very easily so one has to convince oneself logically that this is uh, the case so that slowly it will sink in on an emotional level and the second point in addition to the fact that for sure we're going to die the second point is we can never guarantee when you don't have to be old to die you don't have to be sick to die. There are many examples that we can see for that. Look, there was just this uh, big plane accident. And nobody expected when they got on that plane that uh, it would crash. It could be hit by a bus at any time. My closest friend had a heart attack and died two weeks ago. He was perfectly healthy, 54, not very old. So, again, there are many reasons that support that death can come at any time. Death is not going to wait for us to finish, you know, our work, whatever we're doing, 
You, know, you can't say to death, hey, oh, well, wait a minute, you know, just let me finish this. When yeah. death comes, it comes, finished. And when our time is over, there's nothing we can do really to extend it. You can't bribe death, right? To just have our body supported on a life support machine. And we're a vegetable. I mean, what's the point of that? Um, even that ends at some point, doesn't it? Third point is, what is going to be of any help at the time of death? Well, can't take it with you in terms of money, in terms of friends, family. Even if we build a pyramid and put them all in there with us and we die, they're not going to come with us. And so, what is going to be of help? And from the Buddhist point of view, what we say will be of help are the positive habits that we've built up on our mental continuum. We've done many positive things, helped others, etc. If we've made a great deal of progress on the spiritual path of lessening our anger, our selfishness, and so on, this is going to make a deep impression on our mental continuum. And from a Dharma light point of view, we can die without regrets. We feel that we've led a worthwhile, positive life, especially if we've taken care of our loved ones on a greater scale, made some contribution to society, peace of mind, I led a a good life, a worthwhile life. Or if we think of the real thing, Dharma, then we can die with some confidence that these positive habits, tendencies, instincts on my mental continuum will continue into future lives. So that in future lives I'll continue to have precious human rebirth and I will be born as a child with very positive instincts. You know, we see this with children. Some children are, when they're very, very tiny, they're always crying and angry and so on, and others are very calm, always very kind to others and so on. This is a result of the positive habits that are built up in previous lives. So we have a peaceful state of mind as we die. This is of help. The amount of money we have in the bank is not going to give us any comfort. It's after all just a a number, not a piece of paper on a computer screen. So we have death meditation in which we can imagine that today is my last day. And am I ready to die at any time? Would I have regrets about how I've led my life? And the whole point of this is not to get depressed. That's not the point. The whole point of it is to take advantage of the precious human life and the opportunities that we have now. That's the whole point of this meditation. Every day, it's not just that every day I'm getting older. Every day I'm getting closer to my death. It's one day less. I have to live. Time is running out, and we don't know how much time we have left. Therefore, I want to make the best use of my life now, and not just waste it. To die with a state of mind that we realize that I've really wasted my life, and I could have done so much more, is a terrible state of mind to die in. Now, this state of mind of I'm not going to waste my opportunities has to be established in a very balanced type of way. doesn't mean that we become a fanatic. 
you know, living under you know a state of fear. So I can't stop. We need to know when to take a break, when to relax, so that we have more strength to go on. My favorite Zen koan: Death can come at any time. Relax. <laughs> you think about it, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yes, we can die at any time, but if we are like this, so tight, fanatic, it's self-defeating. So, take advantage of the precious human life, but do it in a balanced type of way. This is the message. And although we need to sometimes take a break and relax, that doesn't mean that we treat ourselves like a baby. There's a difference between really honestly being tired and needing some relaxation, and just laziness. So we need to be able to be honest with ourselves and really be aware of motivation. So obviously, death awareness like this in meditation could be applied either in a Dharma-like fashion or a real thing, Dharma fashion. So if we have things that are still left undone, we want to tell someone that, you know, I really love you, I really appreciate, what uh, you've done, etc. Don't wait. That person might not be around tomorrow. And we might not be around tomorrow. So this is the lesson that we learn from this death awareness. Very beneficial, very helpful. On any level. Don't deny death, but be prepared. And we can visualize our own death, our own funerals, etc. This uh, can make things a little bit more real to us. dwelling on it and becoming morbid and depressed. Okay, now, go to the real thing, Dharma, which is what can happen after we die. And here we have a presentation that we could have one of the worst rebirth states. And we need to take that seriously. And this is not very easy because the presentation in Buddhism is giving us not just animal types of rebirths that are worse than a present than a human one, but other forms that we can't actually see. So obviously if we just consider animal rebirth, animal includes insects and fish and the whole thing, that's fine. Obviously we don't want to, I mean how horrible it would be to be some small insect or some small fish that is just eaten alive by larger insects or larger fish, etc. There are many examples of how terrible it would be to be reborn in the animal kingdom. And the type of fears, the type of suffering that the animals endure. So when we think of the type of life of an animal, the image that uh, we need to have is not one of a poodle with nail polish on living in the house of a wealthy person. The better image is a cockroach or a rat. That's what we're talking about here. So we could certainly develop the wish that I really don't want that. And the emotion that is generated here, it's usually translated as fear, but I don't think that's a very good translation because fear implies that hopelessness and we can't do anything about it. And that's not the case because we can do something to avoid this. That's why I prefer the word dread which is a word that means strongly, I don't want that to happen. If we have a really boring business meeting, I dread going to it. It's going to be so boring and terrible, but it's not that I'm afraid to go to it. 
So this is the emotion that's generated, right? That I have this precious life, can be lost at any time, I want to take advantage of it, and I want to ensure that you know, my next life, I'm not a cockroach, because that would be awful. Really wouldn't like that to happen. So I have to do something about it to avoid that. Now, in the real thing, Dharma, then we speak not just of animal insect rebirths, but we speak in terms of being reborn as a ghost and as some sort of a being trapped in a hell realm and so on. And I don't think it's fair to Buddhism to just be embarrassed that that's there and just want to hide it in the closet, but rather to try to be open-minded about that and say, I don't really understand it. The way that I relate to this is in terms of what we were speaking of the other day, of mental activity. We have the arising of a mental hologram, and that is what it means to see something, or to know something, to think something, etc. And accompanying each moment of experiencing things, of mental activity, there is some sort of level of happiness or unhappiness, somewhere on that spectrum. This is what differentiates us from a computer or a machine. Well, there's information with a computer, there's dealing with it, so knowing it in a sense, but the computer doesn't feel happy or unhappy. So computer doesn't really experience the information that it is working with. The fact that we have happy or unhappy feelings, that is what defines or describes actually experiencing something. So, this is true regardless of what level of happy or unhappy we feel. It could be very low level, but somewhere on that spectrum. Now, this spectrum is very, very vast. And the amount of that spectrum that we can experience is dependent on our hardware, the type of body we have. We can understand this in terms of not just happy and unhappy, but the various senses. Some people can see further than others. Some people can hear better than others. Some people are more tolerant to heat and cold. Other people are less tolerant. And if we bring in animals, well, a dog can hear much higher frequencies than a human can because it has different hardware, different type of body. And an eagle can see much further with eagle eyes than we can with human eyes. So, if that's true with the various senses, why couldn't that also be true with the spectrum of happy and unhappy, right? And we can bring in here pleasure and pain, although they're not exactly the same, because we can have mental happiness or mental unhappiness. And pleasure and pain, at least in English, is mostly physical. But in any case, if we look at the human hardware, when suffering gets too strong, if it's physical pain, you get unconscious. If it's emotional pain, you experience shock. That and then, you know, the body just shuts down. And on the other side, with pleasure, it's very interesting. If you analyze an itch, an itch actually is intense pleasure. It's not painful, but it's too pleasurable, and therefore we instinctively have to destroy it by scratching. Actually, that's a way to deal with chronic itchiness. You know, somebody who has a chronic skin disorder that itches like mad. Although it's extremely difficult and advanced to do, 
if you can regard the itch as pleasure and just relax and enjoy it, especially if it's going to damage you if you scratch it, that's about the only way to deal with it. But that, of course, is extremely difficult to do, but it is possible. In any case, if we think in terms of sexual pleasure, the more intense it gets, the more quickly we destroy it. We want to reach orgasm and climax. So, this human hardware can only experience a certain part of the spectrum of happy and unhappy, pain and pleasure. So, if that's the case, and animals can experience more on the spectrum in terms of senses, then why isn't it logically possible that there can be other types of hardware that can experience further on the spectrum of more pain and suffering and unhappiness or more pleasure and happiness? Why not? In other words, mental activity is what we're talking about. It has continuity from lifetime to lifetime. There's no reason why it shouldn't be able to experience the entire spectrum of, you know, from severe suffering and pain to super intense pleasure and happiness. Why not? It's just a matter of what hardware we have in each lifetime. So this is a logical way to try to at least be open-minded enough to consider these other life forms that are described in Buddhism that we can't see. We can't see amoebas, but nevertheless with scientific developments of microscopes, we can see them. Okay, this is a life form. So similarly, we might not be able to see ghosts, etc., but with development of the mind, it is possible. So the Dharma-like version reduces these other realms to types of human experience. Somebody could be so mentally disturbed that we could say it's like they're living in a hell. And that can help us to generate sympathy, and the wish not to be like that in the future. And that's fine. It functions on a Dharma-like level. However, real thing Dharma is not talking about human experience. It's talking about experience that we can have, everybody can have, on the basis of a mental continuum. And we're talking about a mental continuum, mental activity that could be accompanied by anything on that spectrum of happy, unhappy, pleasure to pain. And I certainly don't want to have, you know, in future lives, some sort of basis that is going to be very, very limited and can only support horrible, painful experiences. That's clear. I don't want that. So, is there a way out of that to avoid it? So, first we have to put a certain positive direction in our life which will enable us to avoid these worse rebirths. And not just to avoid worse rebirths, but to go further on the path to liberation and enlightenment. And we're thinking in terms of this larger scale. So, we come to the term refuge. And refuge, I don't particularly care for that translation. I think it's a little bit misleading. It's too passive. We're not talking about going to Buddha as a savior. Oh, Buddha, Buddha, save me. And we are given refuge like an animal going into a wildlife refuge. But rather we're talking about something very active, not passive, which I translate and describe as putting a safe direction in our life. And by going in that direction, 
we protect ourselves from experiencing worse rebirths, uncontrollably recurring rebirth altogether, and the inability to help others as effectively as is possible. Right? So going this direction, we can avoid these three levels of things that uh, we want to get rid of, we want to prevent. Dhamma, the word that's usually translated as the teachings of the Buddha, actually means a preventive measure of something that we do, that we incorporate in ourselves in order to prevent or avoid future problems and suffering. We put these measures in our life. In other words, we do something that's taught in the teachings, and in doing that, we do this in order to prevent or avoid any of these three types of problems, worst rebirths, rebirth altogether, and inability to help others fully. So, what is this direction? Direction is indicated by the Buddha, right? What a Buddha has achieved. Buddha has achieved complete stopping of all the hindrances, all the shortcomings, all the disturbing emotions, all the confusion, etc. And the Buddha has realized all the positive potentials that the mind has. And so, this is the direction that is actually, we talk about a safe direction from the three jewels, the precious and rare jewels. So, this is the Dharma, what the Buddha has actually accomplished, and his teachings of how to achieve it. And this is indicated by a Buddha who has attained it in full. And the Sangha is referring to the community of not just people in a monastery, not just people in a Buddhist center, certainly not that, but uh, it's referring to those highly realized beings who have achieved part of what a Buddha has achieved. Sangha. The monastic community represents this, but that's not really our safe direction. Okay, so that's the first thing that we have to do, is sincerely put a safe direction in our life. This is what I'm working towards, so to achieve what a Buddha has achieved, the way a Buddha has done in full, and the way that the Sangha has done in part. And doing this, putting this direction in our life, makes a huge, huge difference on an everyday level. Because now our life has meaning, it has a direction. In simple language, I'm working on myself to try to get rid of my shortcomings and realize my potentials. So, emotionally, it makes a huge difference. You know, it's rather than just, I don't know what life is all about, I don't know what I'm doing here, my life is meaningless. That's a terrible state of mind. And to just, you know, the purpose of life is to make as much money as possible. Uh, you know, although it's a cliche, money can't buy us happiness. It's true. So, we put the safe direction in our life, and then, on this level, what is the way to avoid worse rebirths? To avoid acting in destructive ways. Either acting in a destructive way, speaking in a destructive way, or thinking in a destructive way. And this means to avoid any of these three under the influence of a disturbing emotion. Anger, greed, attachment, Naivety, jealousy, arrogance, and a whole long list. And so, this is how we can best take advantage of the precious human life now, on this initial level, to avoid acting, speaking, and thinking in a destructive way. But this needs to be done within the Buddhist framework, because every religion says don't act destructively, don't kill, etc. 
but what is distinctively Buddhist is that the basis for this is not some law, a law either created by some divine being or a law created by a legislature of a government. You know, Buddhist ethics is not based on obedience to the law. You obey the law because if you disobey, you're going to be punished. And if it's a civil law, well, if you get a good lawyer, somehow you can get out of it, or bribe. So that is not the basis of ethics. Obedience, not the basis of ethics here. So it's quite different. And so it's not that, you know, well, if I obey the laws, I'm a good person, and if I disobey it, I'm bad, I'm a criminal. The whole basis here of ethics is an understanding that if I act in these destructive ways, it's going to just create suffering, suffering for me. Unhappy states of mind, deserved. And if I act like this, it's basically because of confusion. Either I don't know that acting destructively is just going to be self-destructive, like when we become addicted to a drug or alcohol, we might not, you know, we might not even think that this is self-destructive. Or we think in an inverted way, that if I get drunk or high all the time, that's the way to avoid my problems. So, the whole basis of ethics here is understanding. And if we act destructively, it's not because we're bad, it's because we're confused. And others who act destructively, it's not that they're bad people and have to be punished, but they're very confused, very disturbed. Therefore, they are objects of compassion, and we need to try to help them to get rid of their confusion. We might have to lock them up because they could be damaging to a lot of people otherwise. But it's with a very different mentality. So we don't have to punish and hurt them. In a sense, try to help. This is a mental continuum. It'll go on forever. So if we don't somehow try to rehabilitate it now, future lives are just going to continue acting in very destructive ways. But here on this initial level, we're focused just on basically ourselves, and wanting to avoid terrible situations in the future, either this lifetime, that's Dharma light, or future lifetimes, that's the real thing. And on this level, this is the way that we go in the safe direction, and how we use this precious human life that we have now, because we're going to lose it. And what we really want to do on this level is to ensure that we continue to have precious human lives in the future, because it's going to take a long time to reach the goals of liberation and enlightenment. So just as Dharma light is a stepping stone to the real thing Dharma, the initial level that we've been talking about is a stepping stone to the intermediate and advanced levels. So let's end here for the morning. And we'll continue in the afternoon, first with some questions and then the intermediate and advanced levels.